Well, let's, uh, let's play a little word association game. Can we do this? Even those, uh, those maybe without, uh, outside of our realm. Uh, peanut butter. Peanut butter, peanut butter with jelly, right? Robin and Batman, right? With, right? There's a lot of those around. Well, I'm glad, grateful that you have chosen to spend a few moments with us this morning. Uh, we truly believe that with us is vital, is vital. We love God by being with him. We love others by being with them or with each other. And we follow Jesus by being with him in the word and by the spirit. And so that is what we're up to. Now, the, the incredible thing as we walk through this series with us is with is not something we humans came up with. We may think we have, but we have not. Uh, It was given to us by a gracious God who desired to show and share and give his love. Uh, Much of of it is truly loving by being with each other, whether it's with God or others, as I've just said. Uh, It's a beautiful thing, right? I mean, with is a beautiful thing. Yet, it's complex, even as I've heard some of your stories this morning already. Uh, complex in the fact that with is not always easy with others, right? Uh, with is that it can be uh, that I have even noticed that I can make it uh, complex with others. It can be inward and selfish. Why aren't they with me? Why aren't they doing this for me? That idea, right? But we have to be reminded that Jesus, that God himself walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. It was as simple as that. It's as simple as those quiet encounters. And what we're going to discover this morning is that God is with us if we are with him, and he is as close to us as a whisper. There are times in our lives when he seems far from us, and maybe this morning, those, that might be one of, one of those times. You're in those moments. You're in that season where he's far from us, but at other times, he's as close to us as our situations, even in spite of the fact that we may not feel that he is with us in those, in those moments. There are times we simply, though, because we do not feel that he's with us, we not we need to encounter God in a new and fresh way and those encounters come potentially in the wilderness so our key verse for these uh, this series is found in Matthew 1 23 would you read it with me the virgin will conceive okay the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sorry about that. Different verse up there than what I have written here. Again, this, the theological term of this God with us is incarnation, is incarnation. God in the flesh and blood is with us, not some distant God. Jesus became someone who talked 
walked, laughed, played, and yes, did everything that you might imagine you do in a single day, uh, good, healthy, right, pure, pure, mature, wholesome things, like us. Yep, that means even going to the restroom. He did all of it. I mean, okay, I mean, I say that, but we tend to kind of put this, put Jesus in this, in this framework that he was not fully human, and we need to recognize that he was fully human like us. This is wonderful, yet it's hard, even as I say it, to kind of capture with our minds, isn't it? Yet, we are given help that comes alongside us, that is beautiful, that helps us to grasp this. Uh, On this idea of, of being with us, and on this idea of needing an encounter, have you ever been in a cornfield or a corn maze, or simply got lost in the woods for a period of time? Disoriented. Ever? Anybody? Yeah. Sure. You would have asked anyone for directions in those moments, yet there was no one around to encounter, to to ask, which way should I go? I've even been hiking with people that know the way, and they go, hmm, I can't remember which way is it. Maybe you have been taking a test, you're a student, and this is test-taking time or writing those papers, and you're taking a test, and it truly tested you. You are deep in the woods of another kind, and you would have enjoyed any opportunity for the teacher, to the professor or the teacher to go, hey, you know, I want to give you a clue on this, this, uh, this problem that I've put on there. But with lack of that encounter, as someone to fill it in, you have lack of knowledge, a lack of experience. We can at times be lost in the wilderness of our own emotions too, can't we? Maybe you've had that this week, been lost in it. Uh, You've been somewhere and a smell or a sound or someone's voice or maybe even the sights around you just put you in a place that you have known before, but all of a sudden your emotions take over in the situations, almost overwhelming, and take you back to your memories. I had one of those this week. It was simply overwhelming in the moment. And in the situation, I was just a tad bit embarrassed. It was just so overwhelming. Scripture uses this concept of being in the wilderness both literally and metaphorically for us. I mean, because we get lost in the wilderness of life often, and yet if we don't turn ourselves towards Jesus and towards the word, we'll be lost potentially eternally. Jesus himself was in the wilderness. Jesus has been baptized by John the baptizer, his cousin, and Jesus Father says in those moments this wonderful phrase about him. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I mean, what could be better than that? To be exalted, to be proclaimed, to be identified as God's son in this powerful and wonderfully and beautiful statement that is mountaintop in its exhilaration. Yet within moments, at least it seems in Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus being forced into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. 
you may have figured this out, but we'll enjoy God on the mountaintop. We get to know him in the wilderness. And Jesus lived this out in his own life. We often, after mountaintop experiences, are followed by wilderness experiences. Maybe you've noticed this in your life. You've gone to a conference and you've just learned something new about yourself, about Jesus, and how he's rearranging you. And so you put yourself full effort into what he's saying to you. And then all of a sudden, you feel clobbered to the left, to the right. You feel that it's like slogging through mud. And it's almost to the point where you're saying, should I continue? Should I continue? You make a decision, maybe it was this, you made a decision to follow Jesus, and, and then as soon as you do, you realize that you're in a wilderness. Uh, you're tired and you're tested, your energy is depleted, and decision-making is difficult. The question becomes for all of us in those moments, will we trust and obey Jesus? Will we follow him and what he's called us, or will we allow ourselves to be lost in the wilderness? You make a decision with your finances. You want to get healthier in this area of your life and you want to give something to the kingdom that's of worth and you just simply want to give because it's the right thing to you. Yet you find yourself, find that your car needs tires. Well, all right, Lord, I guess that's where you want me to give my tithe. No. Uh, Your washer breaks. And all of a sudden you realize that those finances that you're attempting to get ahead on goes the other direction or you think that it's going the other direction. Your kids ask you for help financially. What are you going to do? Jesus has called you or the Father has called you into obedience to him, but you realize all these other things are going on too. The question becomes, who will you follow in the wilderness? Who will you follow Not on the mountaintop, because that's easy. But who will you continue to adjust your compass to on a daily basis? You see, our deepest need becomes a gift if it drives us to depend on God. If it drives us to depend on God. I mean, in those situations, it would be very easy to, if it was finances, to go, well, I guess I'm not going to do what I've committed to do. I'm going to do what needs to be done only. But could there be a blessing by following through with obedience that you have, and have not realized and do not realize because you're fearful of what may be on the other side of obedience? Could be. There's an Old Testament story of the prophet, prophet for God. His name is Elijah. We're going to look at this story in 1 Kings 19. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to open your Bible because you can look at the whole thing at one fell swoop with us. Elijah, he was a prophet of God used mightily by the Lord. He often had mountaintop experiences. In this case that we're going to look at specifically, he had just had a mountaintop experience, a real mountain, a real high point in his life. There was a showdown between uh, those who followed Baal or the gods of the culture, the gods of the culture, and those who followed Yahweh. There was a, this, this tension between them, and God showed up in a mighty way. I mean, just in a mighty way. I mean, Elijah tells them to, to, to douse 
his offering to God with a, a lot of water, right? And it gets swallowed up, and in the situation, not only did the offering to God get swallowed up, but also the prophets lost their lives defending a lifeless God. We, we don't want to be in that situation where we're defending something that's lifeless, that will never give us life. And truly, in this situation for Elijah, God came through. Yet the king and his realm in which all of this was transpiring in an earthly plane was evil. Ahab was his name. Ahab was evil, but his wife, well, a whole another kind of evil. Jezebel, it's not generally a name you hear uh, children named. There's a reason. She was just purely evil. Now, they were just a little ticked off that, um, well, Elijah and Yahweh had got the best of them in this situation. And Jezebel was just a little miffed at her husband for not taking care of the situation long before now. And so she threatens Elijah's life. She says, I'll kill you by this time tomorrow. And in the midst of this mountaintop experience, which can often happen to us, friends, Elijah forgets who's on his side. He forgets Romans 8, 28. I don't know why he would do that, but he did. And instead, he began to run for his life. Yep, insert Forrest Gump picture here, right? I mean, and by the way, this isn't because that would be copyright laws. This is another guy. I mean, he just began to run and run and run. This is the story. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors So Elijah, uh, putting 100 miles onto his uh, feet and legs, the first ultra-marathoner ever recorded in history, uh, Elijah was afraid. So he comes to Beersheba in Judah, and he, he, he leaves his servant there. He's hurting. He's scared. He's desperate. He's heard Jezebel's edict just ringing in his head, but not... God's miracle that had happened on the mountaintop. And he said many of the words that many of us may have said or felt at some point in our life. I've had enough. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore, Lord. Uh, I put up a battle. I, I, I have fought with bravery. I mean, he had faith. He had courage. And finally, he's at the end of his rope. I've had enough, Lord. I'm certain that there is somebody here that has had that at some point in their life. Uh, They said they're spent, they've had enough, I'm not going to take it anymore. Uh, Maybe it's because you're raising kids, you're raising teenagers, and at some point you've just said, you know what, I just, I love them, Lord, but yeah, you heard me, I love them. You know, maybe it's, Maybe it's something else. I mean, maybe it's just something really, really small. And all of the things that stack up, it usually is not the big things. It's usually the small things, that straw that breaks the camel's back, isn't it? I can't take it anymore. 
I can't take it another day in this place. It's maybe your financial, like I said, you're financially trying to get ahead. Your car breaks or your toilet overflows or your two-year-old puts a pee up his nose. Uh, yeah, not my family, but Kathy's family. Yeah, that's happened. Emergency room visit, get it removed, and you're like, what's going on, Lord? I'm just trying to do what you've called me to do. I'm just overwhelmed. Sometimes it's the smallest little things. You work hard, you serve faithfully, you make everybody, you know, you, you, you make everybody the greatest. This is one I hear all the time, or I hear quite often. Uh, you make the, the best meal ever. It takes you an hour and a half to make, but it takes 30 seconds for everybody to consume it. Yeah, I, I see the heads nodding up and down. They all leave the dishes on the table and walk away. And it may be really tempting to turn into Jezebel about that point, right? You're like, really? Is this it? Come on. I've cleaned the house. I've, I've made the meal. I'm just over this. This or some combination of this is what apparently happened to Elijah Prophet. Let me tell you, the guy had experienced the presence of God. I mean, he had mountaintop experience. He fought with bravery. He fought with boldness. Uh, I mean, he, he backed down the evil king on that mountain. I mean, he did. He prophesied and he called, he called for, a, you know, a drought for the punishment. And sure enough, the Lord stopped the rain. The king is... This is the backstory. The king's mad at Elijah and, and sends all his forces after him. This is the prophets of Baal. And he hides for three years, and God's protecting him the whole time. God miraculously feeds him through ravens from heaven. Then God uses him to raise the life of a dead boy. The prophets, this is the story. The prophet stands down 850 false prophets of Baal. God shoots fire from heaven, consumes the altar. Then God destroys the false prophets. God, eventually, Elijah calls and asks God to make it rain. And he sees that it's going to rain. But here he is. He's on, the, he's on the verge of just complete depletion. Some of you may be feeling like that, or you have felt like that. And you can't take it anymore. And you felt like just crawling back into bed was the best remedy for you. Exhausted. Dr. Henry Cloud uh, would speak into this moment that some of us would just like to go to bed because we feel like we're tired. He, he says that if we're tired, a nap will cure that. But most of us are not tired. You're not in physical need necessarily of rest as much as you're in a spiritual need of replenishment. You need an encounter. He, he says you're not just simply tired, you're spiritually depleted. What you need is an encounter with the real God, the very presence of God. And what you need is an intimate moment where you experience the grace, the goodness, the loving kindness, and the mercy of the presence of God you're just not, you're not just tired. You do maybe need to get some rest. Maybe you need some physical rest would be good. But you're more than that. You're spiritually depleted. 
you got to love what God does with Elijah in this moment because he doesn't preach. He doesn't say, Elijah, this is your fault. He doesn't give him 10 verses to memorize and ask him, you know, where's your faith, Elijah? Didn't you just see what, you did, just what I just did? God doesn't do that. In fact, in 1 Kings 5, it says, 1 Kings 19, 5b, it says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread and hot, over hot coals and a jar of water and he ate and drank and he laid down again. Maybe the most spiritual thing, friends, that we could do in a season that calls us to be totally reckless with our time, I would say Advent and Christmas sometimes is so busy, is to rest. He may tell you to get up and eat a double cheeseburger with bacon on it. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, yeah, that's right. It could be good for us. And if it's, it's got to be gluten-free, it's gluten-free. He'll take care of you. I mean, so that's exactly what Elijah did. He ate and he drank and he laid down again. The question becomes, maybe it is that you need rest, but it's even more than that. You need an intimate encounter where God takes care of you, not you taking care of you in the way that you always have. Uh, Binge watching Netflix, going to another movie, going to another place to eat, but allowing him to minister to you in a way that he can. Maybe it's that kind of recalling what we talked about last week, and we just need to be still and dig a well and wait for what God is going to deliver to us instead of trying to fill in the blanks all the time of what we think God should be doing or what we would like to be, have done. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he gets up and he eats, right? And he he spends then another, spends that night after traveling Uh, at Horeb with this question that the Lord brings to him. What are you doing here? Why are you running away from me? Why do you continue to run away from the very things that I give to you? You know better than this. What are you doing? I mean, that's the ultimate of the question is, what are you doing here? What do you want me to do for you? And why do you keep running? Why do you keep moving away from me when my community is right here for you. I'm right here for you. And then Elijah, he might get this whiny voice when he starts talking back to God. Uh, You ever have that voice when you're praying? Like, why? Right? I've been so zealous for you, Lord. I've done exactly what you wanted. Why don't you hear my prayers? God, it's just, why? Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put up prophets, uh, put your prophets to the death, Lord. 
And he's hurting from not just the incident that happened, but from accumulative effects of what he's been doing. And God brings to him a healing in the midst of the hurt. He, God, becomes a with us God. I hope that you'll grab a hold of that saying that was just a minute ago. The deep, your deepest need can become a gift if, when it drives you to depend on God. And then comes, God comes to him again and again and reaches out to him. In verse 11 of chapter 19, the Lord said, Go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful a wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind was... In, After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. But after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. But after the earthquake, or after the fire, came a gentle whisper. It's hard for us to kind of conceive, but God was not in the remarkable, if you will. Not in the loud. Not in the bright. Not in the flashy. But God was in the ordinary whisper. That whisper. Why is it that when life's so difficult, God's voice goes so quiet? Why is he gentle? Why is his voice so still and so small when I need it loud and pronouncing? If God wants, to, wants me to hear him, why does he whisper? Why doesn't he just shout at me? I think it's this. I think it's he whispers because he's closer than you think he is. Because he's right there with you as he's promised to be. God doesn't shout to get your attention. He whispers to draw you close. He wants you close. Uh, Kathy was teaching fifth grade in in a school on the west side of the state a few years ago now. And uh, uh, a a child in her class, a student in her class, uh, became quite loud, quite indignant, angry. And uh, in that moment, the Lord gave her divine wisdom. And she got within, uh, from what she told me, she got within a couple of inches of this young lady's face and just whispered to her. And the girl began to just melt in front of her, cry in front of her because the only response that she had ever heard from anybody in the world around her or quite often was people yelling back at her could it be that it's not only that he's so close is that he wants to have that intimate and a different voice than you hear on a regular basis around you and it may not be within your family you just realize the cacophony of noise around you and the world is just so stinking loud. Everything has to be bright and bigger and better. And he is the biggest. 
But he doesn't have to flex his muscles, if you will, to get your attention. He wishes to whisper to you. He's close. He's near to you. Let me ask you as we move to the next step, where, where do you want to be when you're afraid? Everybody, anybody ever been afraid in a storm when they're a little kid? Yeah. And where's the first place that you generally go when you're afraid in a storm? Where? To bed? Yeah. Usually we go into our mom and dad's room, right? And we kind of, we might even hover over the top of them in a freaky way, right? But we want to be close, right? I mean... We want to be close to our, fa- our father and our mother. We go into our, maybe our mom and dad's bedroom and we ask them, can we curl up with you? Can we lay near you? The interesting thing with God is that you don't have to go to him because he's already that close. He's already right there. You just have to recognize his voice. Maybe you're hurting in these moments and you feel brokenhearted, as Scripture says. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So we can ask the question, why does he whisper? Because he's close. He's close to you that are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit because he is with you already. David said this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Why does... God whispered to his sheep because he's already close to them. He knows his sheep by name and his sheep know his soft and gentle voice. Psalm 139 continues, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even if your hand, even if your hand guides me, your right hand will hold me fast. Why does God whisper? Because he's close. Because he's close. So some of us may feel tired and we feel depleted and we feel just exhausted in this season. And maybe the season has been beyond what we would consider Advent and Christmas. It just feels depleted. Can I just tell you, you need an encounter with the living God. You need to find your place and your space. Maybe it means even just staying where you are so that you can just say, Lord, I need you. I'm not moving. We enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we, in, we get to know him intimately in the wilderness. And we often feel like nobody understands when we're in the wilderness. 
but can I just tell you, he understands. As we're told in Hebrews that we have one who is intimately knows our own, our own stumblings, our own trepidations, because he walked the path with us, that's Jesus. And he becomes a, a mighty high priest because he knows God wasn't in the booming earthquake. He wasn't in the rushing wind. He wasn't in the raging fire. Where was he? He's in the whisper. He's in the whisper. Let me remind you of a point that we talked about last week that I think is just so vastly important to us all the time, but in maybe in this season even more. God rarely reveals himself to people who are rushed. Are you pausing long enough to allow God to meet you and you to him? Are you stopping long enough from the rush of the world and even the demands of those around you to allow him to speak to you? Even if you're not in the wilderness this morning, this question still applies to all of us. What will you do to slow down this season to encounter the God who whispers? What will you do? What thing will you stop doing to give him space? You you can call it fasting or whatever you want to do in this season, but what will you stop doing to allow the God of, of all creation to whisper to you? to remind ourselves of who God is. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Why does God whisper? Why does he desire an encounter with you? Because he's close. He's close. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that real people lived in the Bible. We often, we often have pictures and stories told of the, the great and grand exploits of some of our heroes of the faith. And yet, Father, here's Elijah, who had incredible experiences on the mountaintop, and yet here he's found in the wilderness needing an encounter from you, and he finds the encounter not in the earthquake or the fire or the wind, but in the whisper. Father, would you lead us into the spaces and into the places, Lord, where we can find our our silence and solitude where you can whisper to us in these days, where you can breathe life into us. It may need a nap with it or a nice big cheeseburger, but Father, it needs you. Father, would you lead us? Would you lead us into the place where we're desperate for you and nothing else? It's so easy, Lord, to be distracted by others, things around us. What that person said or didn't say. 
what we have or don't have, what we think someone should have done or didn't, should do or didn't do. Yet the only one we truly need is you. So Lord, I pray that you would lead us into some sweet encounters with you. That stories would emerge from your whispers. Father, we're so grateful. So grateful. Continue to whisper to us in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name.